Well, I'm really excited because it's about that time. It's like we're approaching, we're one week away from our, our, well, my favorite national holiday. Super Bowl Sunday is coming up. It's such an amazing time. I mean, when do you get to watch a game? And what's more important than the game is the food that's around you. That's the great part about Super Bowl Sunday. I think there should be a day off after Super Bowl Sunday so we can just recuperate. Um, Well, today we're going to look at the book of James. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of James, um, chapter 4. And we'll start with verse 1. And it reads as this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That's, that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, I will end there. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of James who teaches us how to live with one another, how to care for one another, how our faith should actually look like. But we pray that this word today would go out, that these words will be your words, that you would minister to your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I think people tend to like the book of James. They like the simplicity of this book in its two ways. Either you're right with God or you're against God. Either you're going the right way or the wrong way. In this book, things are clearly black and white. It's very concrete in its thinking. And in that, it becomes a very practical book. Well, most people cherish the book of James for its practical wisdom. Yet, Martin Luther, the reformer, not Martin Luther King Jr., but our ancient church father, Martin Luther, did not think very highly of this book of James. Martin Luther felt that this book does not really show you Christ or teaches you all that is necessary for you to understand salvation. Even though 
this book does not tell us a lot about Christ, it does emphasize how we are to live with one another in community. As a people who believe in God, as a people who follow God, This book may not teach a great deal about Christ. However, the teaching of this book parallels to what Jesus taught in loving God and loving your neighbor. So James challenged and convicts us to reflect and analyze our own lives. He asks us a very important question. Does your faith have legs? Or are we believers by word only? Am I the kind of Christian that is only known by what I believe? Or do my actions speak even louder than my words? James is clearly writing to a community of believers. And in this community, they're, they're, these people are at odds with one another. They're fighting, they're bickering. These people are from different social and economic backgrounds with different beliefs on how things should be done and how things should run. The rich are at odds with the poor. The powerful and the powerless are at strife with one another. It doesn't describe discrimination by race as much by status. So the author clearly speaks out against this division and advocates for those who have less power against those who are in a position of authority and privilege and power. Hashtag stand with the vulnerable. So that's the scene in which this book is written. That's the climate in which James is addressing. So James is stepping in as an advocate. He's trying to stop all this fighting and all this quarreling amongst one another. Yet the cause of this conflict stems from their very own desires, the people's desires. The Greek word for this in the text for desire is hedone. It's where we get the word hedonism. Hedonate comes from the stem word hedus, which is interpreted as something that is sweet or pleasant or delightful. So hedonate is what is pleasant to the senses. It's usually a neutral term, but James uses this term to describe a desire, a passion of lust, power, popularity, and authority. This is the cause of their infighting. It appears that there's a lot of self-interest and self-centeredness. People who have not brought their desires underneath the submission of Christ. So this tension is so bad that they're willing to act out in violence towards one another. People's lives were endangered. People were willing to kill for their for their passion, for their own selfish desires. Doesn't that sound like what takes place in a lot of churches today? We have our own agenda. We have our own 
passions and desires and we think this is how things should be done. You know, when I left seminary and came back to Hawaii, I wanted to get into direct ministry where I'll do ministering to, you know, in this type of context where I'll be talking to you and um, working with people. But the church I was a part of had a different plan. They wanted me to work with other pastors. Um, the church I was a part of had a lot of history. And we were very successful when we started planning our churches. And it branched out so that we had, we had many churches across the islands and many pastors. So they wanted me to come in and talk to the pastors and you know, share with them what I learned at school about, you know, at, at the beginning when we did ministry, the church was the center of the community. And people came to the church because that was part of their community. But the church is no longer the center of the community today. So the way we do ministry has to change because ministry has changed. So I remember talking to the pastor and saying, you know, this is what's happening. People are out there and there's needs. And the way we minister to the needs of people is much different than how we did back then. So as I was doing this, I was just saying, you know, I know change is hard and we don't like change but sometimes change is necessary if we really want to move with what God is doing because God moves with us. He enters our circumstances where we are. So I remember doing this and then one of the pastors said, you know what, I understand that you, you're trying to say we, there needs to be some change taking place, taking place in our churches. I think so. If we really care what God is doing and if we're really following God, it changes a part of it. And he says, you know, but I came to the church and the reason I like the church and the reason I like my church is I like the flavor. I like what it looks like. I like how it was when I came in. And it kind of took me back because it was like, what about the other people? Isn't this about other people? not about your own passion, your own hedone. Serving God is about helping others. So the way we do church can be hedonistic. Now James goes on and talks to them about prayer. Now, know this, God cannot and will not be manipulated. God is sovereign. And how and what we pray for matters. It's my belief that God hears our prayers. As Dan Chun puts it from First, Dan Chun from First Presbyterian Church, he states this, that God will answer your prayers in three ways. He will either say, yes, I'll answer your prayer. Or he'll say, no going to answer that prayer. Or he might say, yes, but not yet. Give us some time. So when we pray, we should ask ourselves this question. Do my prayers focus solely around me? Or do we focus our prayers on God and our prayers for praying for others? Do we have a genuine concern for others? 
Is the main pronoun in your prayer, I or you, God? What we pray about does matter. When we pray to God, is the focus solely on you? Now, don't get me wrong, okay? God is not narcissistic. God is not about just getting all of our attention so that we can tell him how great he is because he's so insecure. God is secure in who he is. God does not need us to define him. But God is deeply concerned about you and your well-being. But he's also concerned about others and their well-being as well. Sometimes when we pray, our passions, our intentions can be misguided. And that's maybe why God answers with a no. Now, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with wanting stuff. As long as those things are good and right. So even in our prayer, our attention should not be solely on us. I believe God is moved with compassion when he sees that we ourselves are moved with compassion when we care for the lives of others. I think that's what, when God sees us doing that, he smiles and says, this is why I created you as people, to love and care for one another. That makes me smile. God cannot and will not be manipulated. Then James goes on and he talks about this worldliness. He mentions this friendship with the world. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, you may have developed this idea about what the world looks like, that this world that James talks about is evil and stands against God. Yet, if you read John 3.16, what does it say? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So how do we reconcile this difference? What is James actually doing here? Because God says he loves the world that he gave his son for it. Well, James is saying that we are giving someone else the love and the devotion that belongs solely to God. Instead of loving God, we're loving something else. That is the world that James is describing. These people were more in love with their own world than they were with God. That's what caused all the bickering. Now, James uses the term world for a life lived in the present. So James is using this term like YOLO. You only live once. Live for today because that's all that matters. It's a life lived without any regard for God. It's a life lived for only the here and now. As followers of Christ, we can easily slip into this every once in a while, from time to time. And that's okay. I mean, I think God understands that. But do I live in this lifestyle of the world habitually? Is it something that's continually ongoing? 
then if I'm doing that, it's quite clear that I have a blind spot and that I have been deceived about my relationship with God. See, the message that James is trying to convey here is treat your fellow Christians with love and respect. It's about loving God and in doing so, loving your neighbors. Now, James' book is about faith and how our actions is a byproduct of our faith. Because we have faith, this happens. We act on it. It's a reflection. It's an indicator of what we truly believe. Now, the word faith comes from the Greek word pistuo or pistis. And we as Christians have given this word some kind of magical meaning that if we have faith, then we can do this mighty thing. But at its very core, the meaning of faith is trust. Just to trust. Do you have faith in God? you trust Him? Actually trust Him? Do you trust in something that you have never visibly seen? Do you trust that God exists? Do you trust God and know that He is for you? Do you trust in what God says He would do? And that not only says it, but that he will actually pull through. That's where our faith sometimes wavers. Many people, I included, lack faith at times. I try to do things on my own because there's a fear that God won't show up and I'm going to look like a fool. It's quite common for people to lack faith in God. People's biggest fear in becoming a Christian is that they believe that they must give up their habits and their desires and ways of living. This is what James would call friendship with this world. They think they must change before coming to Christ, but it's because we love and trust God that we begin to experience this change. It's a byproduct. This change is a byproduct of our trust and faith in God. And when we trust God, then we start to learn how to live and live life to the fullest. And we find out what living is actually all about. It's about letting go of control and trusting and having faith in God. So this book of James is an important guide for living life together. James emphasizes that faith and works, hearing and doing, commitment and conduct belong together. James offers the reader no easy path for discipleship. James calls out and he confronts us. And he says, 
We need to love our neighbor. Our actions in loving our neighbor must promote justice, mercy, integrity, humility, and faithfulness. And it stands against injustice and dishonesty and pride and self-sufficiency. This is what faith with legs looks like. Now I want to share with you this woman that has had a huge impact on my life. Her name is Mildred J. Broston. And she came into Hawaii in 1937. This was my pastor. Now, when she came, she had a passion for the people of Hawaii. And she lived in Georgia. And for some reason, she heard about Hawaii, and she felt that God was calling her here. So in doing so, she got into a car, because there were no planes back then, of course. She got into her car and traveled across the country to L.A. And in doing so, her car got vandalized, and the people stole her luggage. But when she got to California, she boarded the boat and sailed to Hawaii with no luggage. As she was getting off the boat, it just so happened that her purse that contained all the money that she had fell into the water as she was coming off the boat. She was penniless by the time she got to Hawaii. But she trusted God. She said, God, you brought me here. And she had to. She had nothing else. So she put her faith and she just set off on her mission. And she started ministering to just a few kids because that was the only audience she had. So she started talking and developing this relationship and showed these kids who were the worst kids in the neighborhood there was this God that loved them as she ministered to them. And it's because of her faith. She didn't waver. She just kept trusting in God. And she went about doing the work. Her church is still alive today after 75 years. There are 24 branches across Hawaii and in the Philippines and in New Zealand and in Okinawa. She is my exemplar of a woman of faith. And not by what she said, but because she loved people. She trusted God. And she had faith with legs. Her motto that she gave to us and instilled in all of us as believers was action with living faith in God knows no defeat. May we be like Mildred J. Broston. May we have faith with legs. That is my prayer for you, that we be a community that has faith with legs. Let us pray.